off top. So the Sarver stuff, been thinking about it a lot today, and it's a lot to be upset and confused and angry about, but I didn't want to do that. Like, I think the way it hit me after thinking about it a lot is like, we aren't fully formed at 18, 21, 78, I don't know how he is, but like, we're always kind of changing and there's different events and people and stories and just stuff that happens in our life that changes us in little ways and sometimes sometimes in big ways um and hopefully they change us for like for the good uh, i can think of lots of things from recent last week that like embarrassed me i think of things on a teenager that make me cringe to be honest like um what i thought about today was like, I'm still embarrassed about uh, one time a year ago, like I kind of went off on Aaron Rodgers on TV about the Vax situation. And it's embarrassing. It was like emotional and reflexive and like accomplished nothing. And it it was that I, I think it was that like the lack of empathy that I had for him in that situation was like hypocritical in that I was kind of yelling about wanting him to have empathy for other people. So anyway, that particular embarrassment, it was like a pinch, like it hurt. It was a pinch every time I thought about it, every time someone brought it up to me and like randomly it would come into my mind and it will be like a reminder, uh, incentive, like a stick, not a carrot for sure, but it was a stick that reminded me to like evolve or change or be closer to the person that I want to be and like try to bring the empathy that I expect from other people try to bring it to other situations and not be like grandstandy. This was another opportunity. Whenever someone does something ridiculous in sports, uh, it's an opportunity for me to like test that. And I mean, it's just in life in general. So like my first instinct when the Sarver thing came up was like to be all grandstandy and indignant and realize there's plenty of people doing that. There's no need for me to do that anymore. And I wanted to come from a different perspective, but then he put that statement out. That thing was absurd. And as a man of faith, uh, um, the unforgiving climate and it overshadowed all his good works like that upset me. It's, and it just felt like <laughs> he's feeling sorry for himself. But anyway, the point is it's not a death sentence. <laughs> he's going to be all right. And it's not an unforgiving climate. Like this climate is not unforgiving. What happened is he refused to learn, you know, like he refused to learn and grow from those little pinches. It was 17 years where you were being forgiven and people were telling you not to do this. And you were reading stories about other people, not presumably you were reading stories about other people not doing this. You were, I assume, putting everyone in your business through like workplace behavior seminars that we have to do, we all have to do at our companies. This, it, it was no reason for you not to learn. Like you can't call it an unforgiving climate when you've been being forgiven for 17 years. So you chose not to learn from those pinches and pinch after pinch after pinch, 17 years. Finally, you just got punched and it hurt. You didn't get killed, but it hurt. And again, in an effort to like be empathetic in situations, like I, I be honest, like I can understand how this feels, frankly. And I mean, I guess I can also understand how immediate reaction could be anger and defensiveness or whatever, like that's human nature. And if I am to, he said it as a man of faith, I, I don't really consider myself a man of faith. <laughs> I would think that there is something, plenty of somethings in there about being humble in situations and treating people the way you want to be treated and taking responsibility and all that stuff. And I mean, I'm sure there's stuff about paying the price for your actions that feels like the whole New Testament is about people paying the price for their actions. So as a man of faith, which you called yourself, I feel like you should understand and uh, he should understand that this is not the result of unforgiving this new unforgiving culture. You paying a price for not for choosing, frankly, not to learn. And you can't pretend like you didn't know that expectations had changed. Or I mean, forget what expectations were, but it's like about empathy. 
in the report, it said that people told you not to say certain things. So even if you want us to believe that you live in some bubble where you didn't know that these things were wrong, the report suggests that people told you it was wrong. And I, I'm sure you can imagine being in a situation and not wanting someone to pull your pants down or not wanting someone to comment on your body or not, frankly, uh, creating an inequitable environment, which is what the how the report phrased what you were doing. And I think in situations like this, it's easy and cathartic in ways and feels good for us to yell and point at someone else because they're racist or someone else because they're sexist or misogynist or whatever the ism is that they are guilty of. But I don't think that accomplishes anything, honestly. And I think it's also like, I guess it accomplishes that it makes us feel good. But in this case, to me, what it boils down to is you're, you, you run an organization and the bar should be higher. The responsibility should be higher than it is for the average person. You get lots of perks from being really rich and running a basketball or owning a basketball team. And what comes with that is a little bit more responsibility. But anyway, back to the point that I was trying to make is that it's not the result of an unforgiving culture. You are just paying a price that you refuse to pay, which it would have been much cheaper if you just paid it the first time, which the first time you did something that was unacceptable. The price then was an apology and not to do it again. And probably would have got you, you probably would have gotten away with that many times going forward and try to be better, but you refuse to pay it. So the price got bigger and bigger until now you're getting forced, which is funny that I call this a price because the price that you're paying is someone's going to give you a billion dollars. <laughs> That's not much of a consequence to be upset about. All right. So I, I, I get that you could still be upset being forced to do anything because I don't imagine that being billionaire, uh, heterosexual white man, you don't get told to do very much. And I get that that's uncomfortable. This is me doing my my best attempt at empathy. It's, it's kind of tough. <laughs> but anyway, so once you have some time to like let it soak in and, and realize the truth of this situation, that you're going to be fine and that this is your fault. It's not anyone coming down on you, maybe you'll realize that this doesn't have to overshadow your good work. There's no reason to stop doing good work if that's what, or to do better work. Like, it, like you might be better positioned now to make an impact than you were before, frankly. So you don't have to be remembered as the guy who got his team, I guess he didn't get it taken from him, who was forced to take billions of dollars for creating an inequitable work environment. And I, again, and I guess empathy feels like the theme of all of this. I can't imagine that if someone was doing this in a place where you worked or if someone was doing this to you, like, imagine being in a owner's meeting and some, uh, some other owner came up to you and <laughs> made references to your body parts or forced you to dance with them or whatever the many nonsense things that are in the report don't imagine you would stand for it so anyway i think this went longer than i was expecting and i got a little off topic but the point is you're gonna be fine and you need to take responsibility for your part in all of this play the music i guess Is the Dominique Foxworth show. Dominique, I got one question before we start. Do you think this happened because LeBron and Chris Paul and the NBA and the players put so much pressure on it? I'm so happy you asked that question. <laughs> I, I mean, I did not tell you to ask me that, but I'm glad you did. I brushed this thought by the side. I absolutely think they did. And the reason why I'm happy you asked me that is because, as you know, I'm a union guy. I'm a player power guy. And so I hear so many people complaining about player empowerment and the bad things that come along with it. And I try not to be that biased. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that some of the stuff 
that player empowerment leads to is bad and annoying and frustrating. It makes the game harder to like and harder to love. However, this is a result of player empowerment. Like all these things that we want to celebrate about this league being progressive is a result of players having power. And I guess I would say that before we entered this, whatever we're calling it, like player empowerment, which I guess we mark as LeBron's decision as like the beginning of that. Before that, plenty of uncomfortable, bad things happened in the game. And not like, I guess there's uncomfortable, bad things like this. And also like uncomfortable, bad things that made the game harder to watch and harder to love. Like the smaller things, plenty of that stuff happens. I guess my point is there is no perfect system. And that's a, a tough thing to like accept as an adult, I guess, because we want to be right. And we and it's really tough to accept in this line of work because you want to be right and you like arguing and you try to pretend like and I guess it's any line of work is we all kind of use our logic after our emotion. And we're really talented lawyers for ourselves and that our emotion tells us how to feel. It's from I mean, this is from a book that I read a while ago is just talking about how we make decisions and how we uh, justify our behavior. And it's called The Righteous Mind. It's from, by Jonathan Haidt. It's one of, one of my favorite books, honestly. And it just talks about how emotion decides how we feel about something. And then we use logic to justify our decision. And then we convince ourselves that we arrived at our decision using logic. And I think we do that often with everything, honestly. And like I think, honestly, people who complain about player empowerment are uncomfortable with a lot of other things about player empowerment not necessarily what happens like it's not really that um lebron can control the lakers or that i don't know james harden forced his way out of a couple teams i get it it's annoying but that's not really it it's more about not liking who has the power and being uncomfortable with seeing i mean i could spell it out if i wanted to but i mean it's yeah, I might as well now. It's like uncomfortable with seeing young black men who you feel like are already lucky enough. You're uncomfortable with them wielding that power in a way. And maybe also, it's also true that some of the things that they do with that power sucks. But that's true of everybody. Yeah. Like every, some of the things that everyone does with their power sucks. And I guess it's a long roundabout way to say that no matter what decision you've ever made in your life, that decision comes with some drawbacks. Like there's nothing that's perfect. That decision comes with some drawbacks. And that's a, a price to kind of tie it back into the off the top is that's part of the price. If the price for a system where people who are responsible for creating inequitable work environments are forced out of the league, if the price for that is some players can demand a trade it's the price i'm willing to pay and again i accept that i'm coming from a place of bias so anyway charlie great producing player empowerment since we've gotten there that's the theme of what everyone says is going to happen in the next cba Uh and you've been there you've been through this players were just played an integral part in what seems like a massive inflection point for the league forcing an owner who normally wields their power over the players to sell his team yeah. How do you think the other owners are going to react when in the next CBA? Or is this going to be like an is there going to be punitive things because there are other uh ignominious owners who don't want to meet the same end as Robert Sarver? That'll be interesting. I mean, I'm sure that I mean it's not just Robert Sarver, like the players empowerment also I think had a lot to do with the silver thing, and it also had a lot to do with like the words on the jerseys and the stuff on the court, which I don't think um, I don't pass any judgment on how useful or effective any of that was. I just don't think that it's something that the owners were interested in doing because it could also impact the bottom line negatively. So anyway, I don't think that the owners of the teams or governors, excuse me, that's what they call themselves in basketball now. And that was also probably a result of player empowerment, not thinking that they should be called owners. I think Draymond was one of the people who brought that up a while ago. But I don't think they're going to take this sitting down. Like, they want to address the player power and player movement. I'm sure they want to address the player power and how it impacts 
the way that they behave or the way that they are held accountable. But I'm not sure how they do that in a way that's not obvious and embarrassing, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. So I, I, I will be watching very closely and reading. I mean, I read CBAs anyway, because that's fun. Um, but I'll, I'll read it and figure out what they put in there. But I'm sure there, there'll be penalties for like harsher penalties, probably for not playing the force out things. I'm not sure how they'll try to control the player's speech in situations like this, but I'd be surprised if they just let it ride. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom on Yeho tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish, shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Should we talk about some football? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a football pod. Let's do it. All right. Um, we, got a, we got a crappy Thursday night game. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to spend much time on the Thursday night game, but we we can. I, I mean, I got well, I got one question about it. I think I think this is the only interesting thing is that the Steelers are already complaining about uh, Matt Canada, Mitch Trubisky, like Najee mm-hmm. Harris, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and Kenny Pickett was kind of good in the preseason. Why aren't they playing him? Their offense is atrocious. And what is Kenny? It's not like Kenny Pickett's sitting behind, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He's not getting anything from watching Mitch Trubisky. Why not just play him? Well, I mean, I think I get where you're coming from, but what you're getting from watching Mitch Trubisky or what Kenny Pickett is getting from watching Mitch, Mitch Trubisky is not um, ruined. And so his offensive line statistically is better than it was last year, but I have no reason to believe that that'll hold up. And Mitch Trubisky is not good. Or, I mean, I guess he was good for one season, but he's not the long-term answer. Yeah. I mean, he went to a Pro Bowl, which I know that bar changed. He took them to the playoffs. But anyway. You got a gold star and a cookie for that. Yeah, you could you could win with Mitch Trubisky at one point in Chicago is all I'm saying. So anyway, my point is it kind of speaks to uh, the institutional stability that we've been talking about for a while and how I was also – we also talked about how the best quarterbacks in football are quarterbacks that came into good situations. Mm-hmm. So that would be the explanation. And I can't speak for – what they're thinking in that locker room or what Mike Tomlin is thinking. But if you ask me to, to go locker room lawyer, which is a fun segment we broke out last time, the way I would defend this is we need to improve this situation before we put um, Kenny Pickett, the guy that we believe is the future around here, the first round pick, even though it was kind of late and he fell to him. But anyway, we don't need to put him out there until the circumstances are right. Because we believe, like Dominique Foxworth taught us, that players don't bust organizations do. And we're not going to bust with this pick. So, I mean, that's a great argument because I'm great. I just don't know. Like, I mean, you said the offensive line is improved. The weapons are Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, uh, George Pickens, Najee Harris, Pat Fryermuth. He's already 24 years old. He's like way older than Trevor Lawrence and those guys. Like. At some point, he's got to play, and it's going to get baby cold. Tiny, yeah. tiny baby hands aren't going to do well in the cold. So I said the offensive line has improved statistically. Um, so I think they're like 10th for pass rush lock rate. So I don't actually think they're that much better, but they've improved statistically. So I, I'm someone who believes that you don't get better by watching. I think Patrick Mahomes would have been great if they put him out there the yeah. first year because that situation was good. But I also do believe that you can ruin a player by putting him out there in a bad situation. I wouldn't call this a like catastrophic situation because, I mean, they got him in the 20s because they were not a bad team last year. Yeah. But I do think that that's the best argument for it. So I'm not opposed to them turning to it, turning to him, but putting him out there for his first start against Miles Garrett, that won't be fun. Uh especially if you're a Steelers fan, you remember Miles Garrett 
doing all types of things. People were calling for assault charges for what Bonk. he was doing for to your, for your quarterbacks. So, I mean, that's the argument. I, I, I don't know if I believe it necessarily, but I mean, I, I do believe that you can ruin a quarterback. Uh, and I also don't, I don't believe that one player is good enough to turn things around for a team, even if it is a quarterback. And I guess you would argue that I, I would agree that one player, if it's a quarterback, is bad enough to ruin a team. Yeah. So maybe that's it. It's like put them in and see uh, what happens. But I, I think it's wise to wait for the right situation and not rush them out there. That's fair. It's fair. It's just, it's so weird. It's just so weird seeing a Steelers team and they're one in one. So I don't want right. to be hyperbolic, but their offense seems so atrocious that it almost makes the season feel like a throwaway. And it's yeah. so weird from like Tomlin Steelers team. Yeah. They don't throw anything away. Like they, the one year that they could have thrown away and would argue they should have thrown away and gotten a high draft pick. They traded that high draft pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick. And like, that's a culture thing, which I believe and agree with. It's like, as bad as you could argue that was, I don't even remember who was in the draft that year. What quarterbacks were in the draft that year? But anyway, maybe they missed out on a great quarterback and they should have done it. But in general, I think that this culture of competition and this culture of we don't give up and we're not tanking, we're not rebuilding, like that's a culture that they have there. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. I think all that is tied in. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Steelers have been competitive for pretty much my entire life from the time I was a kid, even if they weren't winning Super Bowls, like they were always a pretty good team. And I think all that stuff matters. And if trading a pick away uh, maintains that type of culture, I'm with it. And I guess you would argue that rolling Trubisky out there right now is not consistent with that culture, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we will see. We spent too much time on this bad game. Is there anything? Is there anything Browns related that we care about? Uh, uh, it, it just—I I don't want. I, we don't want to talk about the Browns. All right, cool. Let's do Bills Dolphins, and okay. let's do let's do something that you have termed take takedown. Oh. I'm going to pitch you a take about this game and All right. validate it. Tell us how we got there. Build the framework or tear it down. Tear it to shreds. I like that. Okay. Okay. Bills Dolphins. This is the Josh Allen and Tua game. And uh-huh. this is a weekend that I think a lot of sports fans are looking forward to. Not because of this quarterback matchup, but to one we're going to talk about later between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. But I, my take on this game, this is by far in a way the most interesting quarterback matchup of the weekend. Nothing to take down. It's absolutely right. I, so it's the most interesting game of the weekend in my view. Uh, because it's a measuring stick game, which it feels like them and the other one that falls in this cat- category, which might surprise you, is the Green Bay Packers against the the Bucks. It's another measuring stick game, and I I think we want to find out if the Packers had a rough week, week one, or if all the changes, uh, in- injuries on offensive line and losing number one receiver, if all that has really changed this team. So I think that matters for that game. In this game, it's obvious, like what the Dolphins have done so far in Mike McDaniel beating Bill Belichick in week one, John Harbaugh in week two, two Super Bowl champion, great coaches, two um, really well-run organizations. If it's real and considering how wild their offseason was and embarrassing their offseason was for them to have this start right now, it's really impressive. And I actually think that they can win. And I might even pick them to win. I got to submit my picks pretty soon for ESPN. I'm leading all the ESPN. You really, you really think the Dolphins are going to win? I do. I mean, I don't, but I think it's possible. And I'm risk. I'm willing to risk it. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know, obviously, yeah, because none of us know. But it's the same thing we've been talking about for the Bills for a couple weeks now is what their weakness is. And their weakness is their corners. And their front has been good enough to make it so a combination of their front and their ability to score points early has been good enough to make teams stop trying to run the ball, which allows the safeties, their two superstar safeties, to stay deep and allows them to play variations of two high safety looks that takes the pressure off corners, cover twos, two mans, those sorts of things that they don't have to drop down to a cover three or man coverage, which would end up isolating your corners. So 
The reason why I think the Dolphins could beat that is because Mike McDaniel is champion run game coordinator. Uh, this zone blocking scheme could potentially, you just have to make a mistake here or yeah. there. One person, that's the beauty of the zone blocking scheme is if you have a good running back who's quick, fast, has good vision, if one person's out of their position, then there's a big run. And especially if you're two gapping, which the uh, it's really hard to two gap against zone blocking schemes uh, because the gaps move because the linemen are moving. But anyway, long story short, I think that's the that is the key is if um, San Francisco's former run game coordinator can coordinate some runs that are good enough that it's going to require somebody to play uh, one of the safeties to come in and join in the running attack. And if they do that, I mean, there aren't there's aren't two corners in the league good enough to man up on Waddle and Hill for a whole game and not give anything up. Certainly aren't playing for the Bills right now. Yeah. So that's what it boils down to is can they can they score enough early or run the ball enough early or play good enough defense early to keep the score close so that they can continue to run and force them out. And then you uh, compound that with the Miami Heat. I think there's a chance. So I'm going with them because I want to win. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I went to Vanderbilt, which means I got to see a lot of lopsided football games. I got to see Vanderbilt play, you know, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, when they're all really, really good. You know what I'm not used to seeing? NFL teams make the other teams look like Vanderbilt. And that's what the Bills have done through two weeks. And I actually think that the Dolphins are very good. I think injuries to the Bills secondary are is probably disturbing when you have to play against the Dolphins weapons. With mm-hmm. all of that said, Josh Allen looks like a superhero right now. He looks like yeah. he's saying something I never thought. He looks more physically talented than Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And you watch these games and he looks like he looks like a Heisman Trophy winner versus Vanderbilt, to go back to the analogy. And I actually think that they're going to win. They're going to cover. And I think we're going to start getting people talking about, ooh, greatest show on turf. Ooh, 17-0. and 0. Like, is this, is this the best team since the 07 Patriots? Because the, the sheer counting stats on this Bills team being plus 55 through two games. And, Crazy. And, and, you know, game one was against the Super Bowl champs. They haven't, like, gone out and beaten nobodies. Like, I think we're going to leave this game and be, they'd be like, holy shit, this Bills team is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a definite possibility. But there is an argument and there's a reason to believe I mm-hmm. could be potentially wrong, but I think I'm right. Mm-hmm. And I guess the what Greeny does on on um get up sometimes is he asks you to bet your house or something like that, which I think forces you away from this. Like there is a chance type of stuff that I'm doing right now and you have to really pick. And I'm trying to think if I would bet my house against Josh Allen right now. And I don't think I would, but fortunately, I don't have to bet my house. I, I'm currently in the lead, like I mentioned, of the ESPN analyst. That's all I could potentially lose is my ESPN analyst lead, and I could look really smart. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to put up this podcast, and if I'm right, we're going to go back and retroactively remove all the qualifiers that I put in there and just make it seem like we just clip out the part where it seemed like I was like, I know what's going to happen. And then we can put that on the internet for everyone to enjoy. Deal? Deal. Deal. All right, let's move on to the second game. I got to take me on this one. This is actually, this is Bucks Packers. You called this a litmus test game? Uh-huh. I, both these quarterbacks, I think it's pretty fair to say. Tom Brady said it. Aaron Rodgers will probably agree with it. They're old and they got a lot of shit going on in their lives. But you know what I'm pretty surprised by? They don't have explosive offenses. They don't have weapons. Yeah. And... This quarterback matchup and this offensive matchup is not interesting at all. It's not fun. As a fan perspective, I don't expect it to pop up on red zone a lot. I don't think it's going to be a titanic clash. And I'm wondering, these two teams have been really good over the last several years. How did we get here? And am I wrong for having this take that this is going to be a boring football game? Well, I mean, I'm not going to be the football hipster that says good defense isn't boring. (laughs) Because I get what you're saying, but watching them goons on Tampa play defense has been fun. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is fun. They be hitting the hell out of people running around and 
getting in the scuffles. It's the type of football that uh, I enjoy watching, but I would tell my son not to play. Like, don't don't be like that. Don't do that. But I love watching it. So I don't know that it'll be boring, but it'll be low scoring for sure because Tampa's defense may be the best in football and Green Bay's defense is at least very talented, but Tampa's offense isn't explosive at all. They run the ball well, but they aren't explosive. And Tom Brady is not being Tom Brady. But he did bring in a, a tiny white slot receiver. He signed Cole Beasley. So oh, yeah. Uh, he is in his element. Um, I don't even remember what your question was. Oh, it's gonna be boring. I don't think it'll be boring because the stakes are so high. I, it could be sloppy, it could be bad, but it matters. So like I, I can watch a high school basketball championship and nowhere and be enthralled because of the stakes well, like it matters to why me. why does it matter so much like both of their divisions stink the stakes are high because of, it's a litmus test game the stakes are at least high for for green bay um i think i called it a measuring stick game you went a little nerdier and went litmus test because you went to vanderbilt but i like measuring stick game better because it feels more football-y I'm not trying to be a nerd like you um so, yeah, I, I think that's why it's high, because it feels like if they lose, then we have to start asking about, like, Green Bay's chances for real, right? Are they really not good this year? Because it's a new team. Yeah. And it also, like, invites the Tom Brady conversation, because if Tampa loses, I assume Tom's also going to play poorly, and then we have to start talking about how good is Tom Brady. So this is a little bit of a tangent. But and I think we all accept that Tom Brady is not accepting his physical aging. Like he's doing stuff with his hair and whatever. Yes. I kind of don't get it because I can't wait till I get gray hair because I think I'm going to look hot. And Roman Harper is my inspiration. I don't yes. have gray hair. But anytime, Roman, if you don't know who Roman Harper is, and this is weird. So I'm sorry, Roman, if this makes you uncomfortable. But... Often when I'm in the seaport, there's TVs on the SEC network, and I see my homie Spencer Hall sometime, and he's fun and funny. And then Roman Harper pops up, and I'm like, it's just striking. Gray hair. It is, I don't know. It's a tangent. But, I mean, I don't want to bald, so I'm not going to tempt the hair gods by complaining about my full head of hair and my hairline that it ain't what it used to be, but it's holding on. Like, we used to be in the goal line defense. Now we got a little bit of cover too. Like the corners are getting off the hashes. So I'm fine with it, but they're not going too back too far. You, but, you still got a four-man front. You still yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you still got Vita Vea in the middle. Oh, we can stop the run up here. We not we we borderline widow's peak in the middle, baby. It's good. <laughs> I'm not I don't have a problem with the front. The corners getting a little too much depth, but it's all right. It happens. I'm hanging in there. I'll be 40 next year. I'm happy with my hair right now however i see a couple grays popping in on my face on my hair and i like it like i i mean i don't get it i, I feel like i don't love the wrinkles on my forehead i'm not gonna do anything about it but the gray hair i'll I mess around and diet i i'm trying to get my roman harp on anyway back to what matters okay you you're not as old as me so you don't even think about the gray hair huh? uh i'm 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 32 and also i okay. sort of look like a gigantic 15 year old so i haven't <laughs> hit that hit that point yet good for you all right what else you want to talk about any more in this game that matters uh no 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 that was that was my big take on this i actually i have a lot to talk to you about on 49ers broncos uh. hi it's mike greenberg letting you know espn bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring the official sports book of espn has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. And there, there are two takes I want you to take down. Did you, see, did you see Russ? Yes. That I'm sure you saw it. The clips of Russ, it, he's telling them to yell out runner pass. <sighs> that was Russ. the first. That was the first. So I played Pop Warner football and I played high school football. And I remember right. like coaches telling you to yell that, but I just assumed that stopped. 
once everyone was good and focused. How how lame is that on an NFL sideline? I mean, all right. To continue. So my wife got on me. I don't know if you listened to the last episode, to the end of the last episode, but my wife got on me for being too hard on Russ. And in the spirit of the empathy theme of this particular podcast, yes, lame. I can't, I can't. I tried to fix it. I can't. It's just, it's one of those things that you can get away with if you're good. You know, like if Tom Brady did that on the sideline of a Super Bowl, we would all be like, see, that's the reason. But Russ, it, the public has turned on Russ for mm-hmm. whatever reasons. I won't speculate. Seems like a nice enough guy to me. And his wife is amazing. They're good people. See, I learn. I grow. I'm going to make sure I clip this so she can hear it and see. I listen to her thorns. But anyway, um, I just think that's what it comes down to is Russ is now in that place that if he don't start winning and scoring and he has a history of stuff like this. But if he were playing well, like if they balled out, this would be the clip that people showed and like, see, Russ is locked in. He lets nothing slide. And I he think- didn't even know number 96's name. 96, 96, go up there, yell past. Well, that's that's football lingo. Like, we used to call Champ 2-4. And, yeah, um, no, 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 no. His, this is a rookie from Iowa State named Iomi Uwazarike, who plays on the defensive line. There's no chance Russell Wilson knew who that was. Russell knows his and name. And he was just punching down on Russell him. knows his name. No way. So, all right, here we go. We break out locker room lawyer twice in this episode. And I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm a defense attorney, so I must defend him. And this is the point. The point is you don't let the little things slide, right? That's the yeah. argument for it is, yes, this doesn't matter right here, but it's a small thing. And I'm sure you've heard coaches say that, and you may believe that you might implement that with your, your little dog, Dobby. Like, you can't let the little things slide because Never. they become big things. Yeah. So that that is the best argument. Are you trying to you, – you don't think that – if Tom Brady did this in a Super Bowl, we'd be like, in a Super Bowl that they won, we'd be like, he's locked in, right? You tell me. When you're on the sideline, were you yelling pass and run? I was on the field. But, like, if you, in theory, were no. your teammates on the side. Okay. It's pro football. No, I mean, no. Stop off running football. Pass was being yelled sometimes. On the field, you yell it? Or, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's the, maybe I lost this case. I don't need a judge. We'll settle a lot of court. Let's keep it moving. What, what, what about this game specifically do you want to know? <laughs> so this is the thing. I, I don't want to pile on Nathaniel Hackett too much. But I saw this take from Ben Solak that I think has been floating around the internet that a lot of people agree with. And it's the sunk cost fallacy. It seems like the Broncos just hired Nathaniel Hackett to try and lure yeah. Aaron Rodgers, and that didn't happen. And now they're just stuck with him. How stuck with him are they? And is this fixable? Because that is this has been like a disaster in the worst coach situation of a, of a talented roster in the league. Of course, it's fixable. You fire him. That's the fix. Um, is it a disaster? It feels as close. To, I mean, a disaster is a strong word, but it feels obvious that he's not ready for the job. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I would consider it a uh, sunk cost fallacy as much as I consider it. You lost your bet. Yeah. Like <laughs> you risked it. And that's the game is risky. And uh, scared of money don't make no money is what they say but they don't talk about the fact that sometimes you lose that money. And so it feels like they lost that money. Firing him now does not solve anything. It just makes your team look messier unless you got somebody on that staff that you think is ready, which presumably the best coach is the head coach. So I would not be opposed. And they got that Walmart money. It's long bread. I'm not opposed to, mm-hmm. to them firing him and paying him out at the end of the year. But who are you going to hire right now? I guess I don't get the point of doing it right now. You think that things get better? No, I, 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 I have no idea. I mean, like they, we are careening towards the Urban Meyer line, who made it 13 yeah. games. Uh, sorry, Nate, you seem like a lovely guy. I've heard you in a couple yeah. podcasts. But Nathaniel. Like, yeah, I, I think he was, he's, he's Nate until he gets a dub. Um, uh, no, no, we are not doing that. We're not messing with that man's name. Nathaniel Hackett is what he wants to be. Okay. I, I have no idea how, if it gets better, or if it gets worse, like there seems to be scar yeah. tissue building up. Yeah. I guess it could get worse. One other question about this game. Um, and I hate to make it a zero sum situation, but 
which game managing quarterback do you have more faith in Russell Wilson or Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> I love that. Um, Russell Wilson is not a game management. Quarterback. He is right now. He is through two weeks. I mean, he's not actually, he like, he put up big numbers the first week. They just fumbled in the red zone. If he, like could, have man- if he could have managed the play clock and gotten to the line sooner, Javante wouldn't have fumbled. That's just one of them. That's not the other one. But anyway, that's not – okay, either way, it doesn't matter. I don't have to argue. We can look at Russ's career and say he's not a game-managing <laughs> no, quarterback. Yeah. But um, I I obviously have more faith in Russ than I do Jimmy Garoppolo. But I certainly have more faith in the 49ers organization than I do in the Broncos right now. And that's what it comes down to. And that's the, well, that's the interesting thing about comparing the quarterbacks. I think Jimmy Garoppolo's job is so much easier. And that context yeah. is like is significant in this. But Russ wanted a harder job. Yeah, <laughs> that's the whole uh, like genesis of him getting out of um, Seattle, right? Is like, yeah. or at least part of it. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I hadn't picked anybody for this game, but I feel like I just made my decision is that I'll go with the 49ers, right? Because I'm, I'm totally with you. I think that like. They haven't played good football yet, and they're they're one and one, and like this is a really a, this this is a uh, measuring stick game for me too because they're playing against a really good defense and someone who has historically been a really good quarterback. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see. I I think yeah, I don't know. I hadn't picked that game yet, but if I'm gonna stick by my philosophies, everything would suggest that you got to go with the 49ers in this situation because Nathaniel Hackett and that team is not gonna get back. I mean. There's so much stuff to do week to week for a team. There's so many things to get prepared for, so many things to worry about. There's limitations on practice time. There's not enough time to do all that stuff. They are putting on top of the normal jam pack week, Mm -hmm. rethinking their clock management situation. (laughs) Like, again, because they said they did it last week and it still was bad. How do you even rethink that? Isn't it just know what the clock is? No. I mean, I think decision-making processes is a process. And organiza- different organizations have different processes, different people involved in different um, parts of the decision, you know? And, like, different people have the final say. Some teams, the head coach calls the plays, and some teams, someone else calls the plays. Some teams have an uh, analytics guy in the ear of defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. Um, you know, like, it's, there are different processes, and then you go into the locker room, and certain coaches go to certain rooms. They have a certain amount of time to make adjustments and then go out and share it with the players. So like, they're different teams do things differently. So I don't know. Maybe they have too many people involved in the process. Maybe the wrong person is making the final decision. And maybe Nathaniel Hackett is too. He's the one who makes the final decision, but he's not thinking far enough ahead because he is tied up in the play-by-play, which I could understand happening. So like that's the process. And the, the problem is, the process obviously doesn't work, so they need a new one. But that's the point of preseason is you implement these processes and you practice them in the game. And you practice them in joint practices. And you practice them during two-minute drill when you're practicing against your own team. They got to implement that and practice it so it goes smoothly while they're also installing a game plan. It's hard. They, yeah, I, I'm even convincing myself even more the 49ers are going to win. Can we, bet, can we bet on this? I have... We'll we'll get there. We can. I already have. I already have. I have six bets that I really believe in. This oh, week. You told me right. to get four, and I got six. Let's go. Okay, let's do one more game before we get there. And all right, cool. Um, this is actually not as good of a game, but it's the game I'm most interested in, and it's the Lions and the Vikings. And the reason I want to ask you the the take I have is I don't think the Lions are that bad. I think both these teams are the they're they're going to be like the fun teams that can stick around and hanging a lot of games because of how good their offense is. But my question to you is my take, sorry, my take that I want you to take down or agree with is the NFC North is wide open and the winner of this game is going to be right there with the Packers for the rest of the season. Right. I don't have a strong feeling on this take. So I'm going to promote propose that we switch it from take takedown to marry kiss kill take. Mm-hmm. Would you like that as an idea? Sure. Because I feel like I don't want to marry this take. I'll kiss this take. I won't kill this take. Okay. And we can we can punt this one a little bit too. Because I actually, I have a homework assignment for you for this game. Okay. And I Ooh. actually like, so I play fantasy football. And 
I'm one of the million amorous lovers of Amon Ross St. Brown. And this yeah. is someone who is 5'11". He ran a 4'5", but he's in his second year and he looks like he's one of the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. And I don't understand why, other than the fact that like he just seems like he's really good at football and he's able to beat uh-huh. zones in the middle of the field. And we can circle back on this, but I would love to know from your perspective, after he goes into a game where he might be as good of a receiver as Justin Jefferson on the other side in this given week, in this given week, from a fantasy uh-huh. perspective, how is this possible from this, from this fourth round pick? All right. I'll watch him closely um, and I'll go back and check it all out. Is the question did people, yeah, I'll figure out whether people missed on him or what he's doing, what makes him special. Is it sustainable? Yeah. Yeah, is it sustainable? All that stuff. He's doing it with Jared Goff in, um, in Detroit. So it feels impressive. I haven't watched him closely so far, but I obviously know he's putting up big numbers. Him mm-hmm. and Swift, like this offense is good. I mean, I I told you before that I resisted the urge. I watched one episode of um, no, do it, Art do it, and I felt myself falling in love with this team. And I didn't watch another episode because I didn't want to like have to love the Lions, who I just assumed were going to stink because the Lions always stink. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I miss it. I wish I would have gotten on it because I would have enjoyed these first couple weeks a lot more because they are a fun team. They're really fun. And I actually think it's like they've put together a crazy skill position set. This is the last thing. Like looming behind all of this is Jamison Williams. And I don't know if you're as, as much of a draft nerd as, as I am on this, but. Oh, yeah. I know Jamison. He's, yeah. I, yeah. Also, yeah. He's the best receiver in the draft until he got hurt in the championship. Game. And it's not, it's not just that. It's the, the, the scouting reports that I read. And obviously this was uh, sort of eye test apparent too. They a lot of the draft nerds said that he was the most explosive receiver prospect to come into the league since Tiger Kill. And that's Oof. that's crazy putting that next to Swift and Amon Ra. Unfortunately, it's TJ Blockinson playing tight end. With that said, still a lot of explosive playmakers on the Lions. It'll be fun to see. I mean, I guess this is um this could be one of those places that that'll be really attractive for a quarterback who wants out, who I don't know who it's going to be, but it seems like that's the the trend lately yeah. with, with Roger. I'm mean, not with Rogers with um Russell and Brady and Stafford. Like that's, and Matt Ryan, ugh. it seems like the trend is quarterbacks late in their career who are doing well, want to move. Can we guess who that guy's going to be? Cause it feels like all the other good quarterbacks are like locked up. I don't know. Maybe if your man um, Cooper Rush keep cooking, that oh Prescott my. gonna be gonna be looking for a trade partner. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, I mean, that would be great for him to end up in yeah. Detroit compared to Dallas right now. Oh gosh, it'd be great. Um, <laughs> let me look at this. I'm looking. I'm going through quarterbacks. I think could end up there. Da, 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 da. Let's Who's... see. Let's see. Yeah, it's nobody, right? Yeah, there's no one right now. I mean, Marcus Mariota. I, oh, I got it. 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 You know who needs an injection of grit? Who's that? You know who just needs a little to be wrapped up in a big hug from Dan Campbell? <laughs> <laughs> it'll look very, it'll look really small in his arms. Oh, Kyler, Kyler Murray. This is, <laughs> this is the, the dome setup for Kyler uh, Murray. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, they're not going to let him get out of there. Well, it might, because he might force his way out. I don't know. We'll see. I, I see that as unlikely. It's going to be somebody more like Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, or maybe they'll trade up in the draft or something. Or maybe they'll just stink again. Yeah. Oh, Joe Flacco. He's he's the guy. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft. Hey, Daniel G. Jones. Daniel Jones is going to be looking for a job after this season. He's not good, though. Jimmy G, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jimmy G. Yeah, that's the Jimmy guy. G. He's going to be unemployed. They might extend to be it'll so that's what it's gonna be. It's gonna be either Jimmy G or they're gonna trade Trey Lance. That's it. We figured it out. Problem yeah. solved. Get ready, guys. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. 
Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Can I pitch you some bets? Let's do it. End on some bets. How do we do last week? We were four, we were three and one last week, right? Uh, I was three and one. You were two and two. No, I wasn't. That's right. You're a liar. You went against Davis Mills, my guy. Got he, he covered by the by the hair on his chinny chin chin on his very long neck. All right. Well, I don't play golf, but we're doing best ball. So we were three and one last. Week. Okay, we were three and one. Um. All right. I got two props, and well, now I've added a six bet, but I've got two props and four game lines for you, um, and then one special one at the end. Uh, the first one I've got Kyle Pitts over forty six point five receiving yards, and you might be asking me why would I yeah. bet on that when he has 38 receiving yards this season? And the answer is, is because he's a buy-low candidate and people expected him to be an evolutionary Tony Gonzalez and he hasn't been that good so far. And Arthur Smith is saying the ball's going to find him. You look at the numbers, he's still running a lot of routes. So 46.5 yards, that seems like it's bet down because of two bad weeks. Yeah. Um, I guess I would wonder what his average was last year. And Arthur Smith, I don't know him personally, but he seems like I remember they asked him and he got like annoyed. He seems like a spiteful guy. And it's like, nah, you want me to throw in the ball? I'm not. I'm going to make sure Marcus doesn't throw in the ball. But it's a low number. That's one. That's two big catches. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't like rooting against people. So let's do it. It'll be fun. We'll go over 46 yards for him. Let's do it. We're in on that one. And Thumbs he was up. like he was at like 55 yards per game ish last year. All right, yeah, that's good. We'll go. My up. math is a little off because it's 17 versus 16 games, but in that range. Okay, gotcha. Cool. The next one, this is going to hurt your heart a little bit, but Uh-oh. under on passing yards for Justin Fields. Um, 182.5 passing yards this week. And you might be asking, that seems like nothing for a yeah. NFL quarterback. Problem mm-hmm. is, it's volume. He threw yeah, the ball 11 you know times last week. He has had 28 attempts this season. Like, why, how is the game script going to change so massively from week two to week three? The Kyle Pitts bet is we're not betting on the game script changing. We're betting on him forcing the ball within that same game script. I, um, I don't want to root against my beloved Bears or Justin Fields, but I think that's a good bet. He's going to go under that, right? I think so. I mean, their number one receiver had like negative yards last week. <laughs> Darnell Moody. <Yeah. laughs> And they're going up against the Texans, who have a really good defense, or at least they've played really well the first couple of weeks. Um, uh, yeah, I got to go under. They're home, so the field's going to be garbage. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we got to go under. What was the number again? 180-something? It was 182.5. Yeah. These are bets that you made, so I think I'm just agreeing with you, right? These, yeah, you, I can, haven't you, changed. Can, you can agree or disagree. Yeah, I, I, but I haven't changed any of the bets. We're we're on your ticket right now, so yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I want to jump on that ticket with you. Okay. Next one I got is Rams Cardinals. Um, okay. I got the Rams. My it's minus three point five. I'd be shocked if they don't win this game by a touchdown. Like Kyler was, it was such fool's gold last week with Arizona mm-hmm. that they got back into that game um, because Kyler is able to do amazing things out of structure. Rams defense still pretty good. Weird vibes, but like, there's, they're you're not playing the Raiders who are going to give away a twenty point lead. Um, and I don't trust the infrastructure of, you know, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. And I do trust the yeah. brain of Sean McVay and Matt Stafford to get a big offensive boost when you're playing against the Arizona defense. Yeah, they. Um, I remember they. Uh, they beat Arizona last year. Let me find it. Uh, yeah, they beat Arizona in both their games last year. Once was 18-7 and one was 38-28. Uh, it's not much. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the Cardinals right. are at home here too. So I'm taking, yeah, I'm I, taking I, the road favorite. I think that the Rams aren't as good as they were last year. And I think that the Rams are not as good as um, most of us think. However, I think they're much better than the Cardinals. The Cardinals got a fluke win last week and we're getting dominated for much of the game. Kyler went all the way off. Yeah. Um, I don't see that happening again. So, yeah, I think that's – so what's the what's the line again? Three and a half. Three and a half, yeah. That's the tough part right there. Yeah, I mean, they beat them by more than three and a half, both their games last year. I think you're right. I'm agreeing with you. I don't like this. Well, I, next one's the lock of the century. If you disagree with okay. me on this one, I would be shocked. I actually – I checked this line twice because I was stunned mm-hmm. by it, and I think it is just purely a reflection to what we thought before the year. Right. The Chiefs are playing at the Colts. The Chiefs are five and a half point favorites against the team that's been the worst team in the NFL. And the Chiefs yeah. have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey and a million other good players because they're the Chiefs. All right. So if the Chiefs are up by, let me think about this. How would this go wrong? It's too obvious. And there has to be something that could make this go wrong. Um, if the Chiefs are up by 10 at the end of the game. Like that's the only way it's like, they give up some late touches, but they can't score on anybody. The Chiefs D, this feels like it's too good to be true. The Jaguars like just beat the Colts by 24. I know. And the Colts didn't even score a point. Yep. Uh, yeah, this feels like a trap game, but I'm taking it. Okay. I'm taking it. You got to. It's only five points, right? They'll win by a touchdown at least. I, 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 I actually thought about and I'll effort this over the rest of this, finding an alternative line of how much, how much we're comfortable betting, betting the, uh, Chiefs to yeah. win by. Uh, next one is for you. It's the 49ers at the Broncos. Yeah, we decided. Broncos are two and a half point favorites. Oh, yeah. Let's go 49ers. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have the money line, but I think we can just bet that straight up. Let's take the money line on the 49ers. Oh, just for them to win. I guess yeah. it's better payout. Yeah. I'm nervous. Scared money don't make no money. Let's bet, bet our fake money on the money line. Let's do it. Gotta risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> What was that? That was um Bruce. Goal, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah, it was Bruce Arians. Uh the next one I'm I am pandering to you, but I also think that this one the lines this week are they seem suspiciously easy, which means I'm gonna lose all of them. But yeah, the the Cowboys are playing at the Giants. Uh-huh. Cowboys appear to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. The Giants are very well coached. The Giants are only one point favorites. Why wouldn't we just take the Giants at home? Because Micah Parsons and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones likes to fumble. Michael Parsons like to hit, likes to hit quarterbacks. And Cooper Rush, um, we're counting on him back-to-back weeks to mm-hmm. be able to score enough points for this offense to win. And Saquon Barkley could make a big play. I don't like this at all. This is a stay away. Okay. I say, I, I mean, yeah, I don't like it. We're going we're gonna to avoid this one. You can keep your money there so that if we get it right, we'll count it for us. But I will not put my fake money there. Okay, the next one is I think you're going to stay away from this one too, but I found this one a little bit a little bit tasty, uh, just because I think the Titans are really bad. The Raiders are at the Titans, and the Raiders are two point favorites, and the Titans have looked awful. Nope, that's a stay away. Okay, that is a stay away. Uh, I respect Mike Vrabel and that team, and I do not trust the Raiders. Did you yeah, did you away. see when Sean McDermott jokingly said he could take Mike Vrabel, and Vrabel like goes like. <laughs> No, you couldn't. <laughs> I love Mike. Mike was, um, he was on executive committee with me when I was uh, on the union stuff. When I was on executive committee, <laughs> I got to know him really well. He's he's one of those guys that you can really trust. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I like Mike a lot. So that might be my own personal bias um, <laughs> leaking in. He's a, he's a great dude. I ain't talked to him in forever, but I still root for him. And it makes it hard to bet against him which is why I'm just going to stay away because I want to bet for him. And that's how I lose my money by letting my heart make the bets. I mean, I will say, uh, I think we can also, we can all say Mike Frabel, tough year, but we are happy that you get to keep, uh, you know, your downstairs parks. For <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot about that. All right. That's the last one. No, um, I got one more tack on to anyone who wants to have a parlay. And this is actual free money. Uh, if you want to add some tennis to your card, Labor oh. Cup is going on. Roger Federer is playing his last match for Team Europe. Team Europe yeah. has the four best players of, or three best players of all time, plus Andy Murray, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. 
and it's sort of an exhibition. There's no way they're going to let Federer's team lose. You can bet on this? Team Europe is minus 425. And you can just oh. add those odds to whatever parlay, whatever card Easy you have. money. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. I appreciate you buttoning in right there to make sure we got that last one. All right, Charlie. I appreciate you. Christina Buswell, thank you. Sarah Abbott, thank you. And we've added my man, Deontay Epps. So everybody, we know who everyone roots for, Deontay. So please, come on. You got to introduce yourself to the people and tell us who's your NFL team. Man. You don't have one? I do. I do. And y'all talk about it. I'm a Broncos fan. I'm a Broncos fan. Ooh, so, Broncos country, let's ride. Yeah, let's ride, man. But no, I've I've heard it all week. Obviously, working at ESPN about the hacking situation. It's it's definitely been puzzling. But at this point, like you said, we just gotta ride with it and see what happens, man. But it's not <laughs> it's not looking good to start out, bro. Not at all. I appreciate you, brother. Do we have a team? Did we give up on the on the Panthers? We're not a Panthers pod anymore. Please, please. Uh, yeah, we're not. We're not a Panthers pod. Um, I think we're a Giants pod now. We're a Giants pod now. Okay. Dare I say Dolphins? Oh, <laughs> fins up, fins pod. Welcome. We're a Dolphins pod now. We're the, if the Dolphins win this weekend, we'll cut this part off and just say we're a Dolphins pod. Yeah, let's do it. Beautiful. And the Giants win, we become a Giants pod. Isn't it? Isn't a family of Dolphins called a pod? Ooh, oh yeah, it is. We're onto something. Perfect. All right, we're done. <laughs> We're done. You know how much I love animal facts. I appreciate you. All right. Dolphins pod. Fins up. Thank you, guys. See you next week. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.